Welcome, welcome, welcome to Run Mama Run. I'm your host, Michelle Schroff. Run Mama Run is a community of women that love, cheer, and desire the absolute best for each other. Give us a follow on Instagram, runmama.run, and Facebook, and our website. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Today we have Cheryl Saavedra on, and I'm so happy that I finally get to have this conversation in person with her because I keep hearing from her husband what an amazing wife, mom, and lawyer you are because um, there are lots of things that I admire about you. And every time I talk to him, I'm so fangirling and I'm like, I need her on my podcast. Can Do you think she'll go on my podcast? And he finally said, of course, I think she will. He is my biggest fan, he in addition is. to my children. Yes. I haven't met your kids yet. This is a, It's actually really funny because the one time you came to my house, I had a broken leg, oh, right, so I yeah. was recovering. <laughs> and when she came to the door, it was so funny because I used to have a mirror sitting by the door, and she goes, where's the mirror? And I'm like, I forgot you'd been to my house. <laughs> I thought that was so innovative. That was perfect. Yeah, I was on Percocet. I don't remember anything. <laughs> But I did get a chance to meet your um, your puppy. Ben. I went to the office. Yes, yes. He's I fell the love in of love. Our life. I couldn't mm-hmm. believe it. I almost brought him. I wish you would have, mm-hmm. because he loved me. He followed me around your office, and I told Hal most dogs aren't like this with me. They're kind of like, oh, mm, okay, you're here, whatever. But he like followed me around. Well, Please he, tell me he's not like that with everyone. He's a very unique Yorkie in that. I'm absolutely sure that he adored you beyond the general population, but he, in general, he does love everybody. And generally, Yorkies don't like kids. No, Um, and he loves kids, um, and he loves other other dogs. He's so sweet and beautiful. He is beautiful. Now, what what is the coloring of him? So he's uh, he's considered a silky. So his hair is very very soft, like a human, and he's got a little bit of white. Um, lots and lots of red and gold. Yes. Yeah. I thought there was kind of like a, um, like a blue. Silver blue. Yes. Uh-huh. Beautiful. Oh, mm-hmm. he's so sweet. I could talk. Has- I could literally do an entire podcast on your puppy. He was the sweetest thing. And I kept telling how, I can't believe how sweet he is. He's the sweetest. And he's like, I know. That's why he's allowed in the office. <laughs> and, and he has green eyes. I know. Which is really unusual. We'll have to well. post a picture of him. You have to send me a picture over so that we can put it on Instagram of you with Ben. Absolutely. You know, we're getting ready to launch a new website uh-huh. for the firm. Yes. And um, the cover page for the website includes it. a picture of Ben. I love it. <laughs> now, you and your husband practice together. We do. Family law. Um, well, we like to say that our firm specializes in the formation and reformation of families. Love it. Yes. Meaning that Hal does adoptions and assisted reproductive technology, and I do divorce, custody, child support, guardianships, and then I represent children in custody yes. cases, guardianship cases, and then I spent several years also representing children in the abuse and neglect system. Love it. What a resume you have. Thank you. You sent me over your bio and it is the most thorough bio that I've ever seen. And I was so happy because I, I was like, I don't want to sit and talk about work. I, I really, I want to talk about you and what you're passionate about because I, the idea of running alongside of you inspires me. 
because you and I lived similar lives. I, you, you, it was really cute because when you sent me a talk that you had done for an organization here in town, you said, it's a tearjerker. And I'm so glad you prefaced that because when I was reading it, I thought, number one, it was the most thorough um, talk that I've ever heard on, um, you, you, on being a foster child. Cause you were a foster child in New Mexico system and you had just such a, a story of hope that I've never heard before. And your, your approach was that don't be a victim, right. you know, yeah. it's so easy to fall back on that. Well, you know, it's funny how that speech sort of developed. Um, when I, when I initially graduated from law school, I went back to my hometown of Roswell mm -hmm. to practice law there. And um, I, I was previously a upward bound student when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of how I got out of the system, if you will, right. is that I was in the upward bound program. And so the upward bound program asked me to come and speak to them as their graduation speaker. Mm -hmm. During that period of time, I was developing a speech for that graduation program and I developed this speech called who am I mm -hmm. the basic concept of the speech was if you see me today in mm -hmm. th you know the way that I appear in court the way that I appear with my family the presentation I make the down to the house that I live in or the right. car that I drive you would never know that you know we lived in such horrific mm -hmm. circumstances yeah. when we were kids mm -hmm. And um, so the basis of that speech was really to teach those kids that they had the ability to present them in, in a way mm -hmm. that allowed them to make a positive future for themselves rather than constantly victimizing mm -hmm. themselves and um, leading, leading a life of inferior capability. Mm -hmm. So it was really a speech about belief. And then I ended up the organization that the for the speech that I sent you is Rotary. So mm -hmm. I've been involved in Rotary for years and years and years. Served at the district level, everything from club president to um, district public image chair. And they initially asked me to speak at the girls camp. They mm -hmm. have a girls camp called Ryla, a both a boys and a girls camp mm -hmm. every summer. And so I reformulated the Who Am I speech to oh. this speech. Mm -hmm. And this speech is called Step to the Line. And so we performed this exercise with the girls at the camp where, and I'm not sure if you've ever seen that game, but how the game operates is we're in a big gym and mm -hmm. I'm on a stage. Mm -hmm. And uh, we put half the girls on one side of the gym and half the girls on the other mm -hmm. side of the gym. And I start reading statements, mm -hmm. um, very innocuous statements at first. If you, for example, if you have ever um, missed school oh, yes. because you didn't have a parent to take you to the mm -hmm. doctor, um, look to your left, mm -hmm. look to your right. And so what they're doing is they're looking for other students who have the same experience for them. And then the game gets more and more emotionally challenging. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you have ever had an alcoholic parent, mm -hmm. if you have ever been homeless, mm -hmm. if you have ever suffered physical abuse. Yeah. Um, and it's really, really a powerful experience for those girls because a lot of times they have never had the opportunity to mm -hmm. rec re um, recognize their own victimness. If right. you will. So it's, I haven't given the speech in, in the last couple of years. 
um, it got to the point where Rotary had to bring a therapist in mm. um, after my speech. Mm -hmm. it, it was one of the things that was the most garnered aspect of the camp, mm -hmm. but also the most difficult emotionally yeah. because the girls in that situation, either they would very much embrace yeah. the message that I had to give or because they were in a situation where they had never, ever had anybody recognize their trauma, mm -hmm. it almost debilitated them. Yeah. And so it was a really, it was a balancing act yeah. that we had to do, but I loved, I loved doing it. I yeah. loved giving it. I know in my experience, when we come across young ladies that are um, struggling with, uh, I don't, you know, cause you would, what, the way that you had put it was there, you know, look to your left, look to your right. And I think about once I meet someone or once one of these young ladies would meet someone that had had a similar story, it would bring about things that they could have conversation about because, you know, you get me, mm -hmm. Cheryl, you get me, you understand me. So we can talk about things that I have not talked about. We can talk about things or, or explore you, conversations that I've never shared with anyone. Right. But you get it. Things you don't talk about. That's right. And, and I, I, I find that sometimes we have to go through that very difficult um, realization that, okay, this happened. And I, there's nothing I can do about it now, but I, I have someone else who has a similar story that can walk with me mm -hmm. and run with me through this life. And I can say, Hey, I'm struggling with this or, and it not be just this one time, Hey, let's have this conversation. But life is just, you know, I can come across the next person who has dealt with this or, but to be able to walk with someone through that and to be able to experience life through the lenses of saying, I, I, I was able to come to that line and say, no more. I was able to draw a line and say, I'm not going back there. Right. You know, when I, and when I, when I was reading that speech, I kept thinking, wow, you know, the idea of a line of, am I going to cross it to the other side and see what that other side looks like? But also, am I going to turn around and say, I'm not going back over that line? I'm not going back to that past of what happened. And, you know, for the sake of healing, yes, but for the sake of revisiting to um, uh, go back to that kind of thinking or that kind of um, life that I'm going to give to my children. Because I know in my experiences, I watched a lot of things when I was on that other side of the line and went, I'm, I'm not going to do that when I'm an adult. Right. I'm going to do things differently. Well, I, I discovered that there were really two um, types of people that are in that situation. Mm -hmm. And I did a little bit of research on it when I, when I started developing this speech. And it's really along the lines of trauma recovery. Yeah. That kind of speech helps people it does. to recover from their own trauma. But there's two different types of personality within that, within that situation. One is the person who suffered trauma as a child. Mm -hmm. And they can't live beyond it right it encompasses everything about mm -hmm. them and it they they're just not able to live beyond it yeah. the other the other side of that spectrum is somebody who pretends it didn't happen mm -hmm. who ignores it yeah and um that was the who am I mm -hmm. element of that. Yeah. You don't know that I lived in foster care because I would never admit that. Right. I would never say that. Mm -hmm. what, what I really learned to do was find that happy middle. Mm -hmm. That happy middle to say, okay, I, I recognize the trauma mm -hmm. um, and I'm not going to hide from it. Right. 
um, but I'm going to learn from it. Yes. So that was what brought me to yeah. step to the line. That's so good. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's funny because when you say, because I, I would say I was definitely the person that for so many years hid from it and was like, oh, no, no, no. And one, it probably, I don't know, I'd been married about five years and I was watching Rosie O'Donnell mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was talking to or interviewing a girl, a teen girl that was talking about um, being homeless. And at the end of the interview, I was weeping because I'm like, that was me. Like what? I thought homeless was, you know, living in a cardboard box. I did not know that homelessness meant that we were couch surfing and we lived in motels and and things like that. So I called my cousin who's quite a bit older than me and and I said, hey, sis, because she's like my sister. We lived with them. And she goes, yeah, Michelle, you were homeless. (laughs) Oh, I didn't think of it that way. And she said, yeah. What do you mean? Like all of your life, you've been living, not knowing this. And I said, I don't know if it's so much that I didn't know it as much as I didn't want to face it. It was, it was a part of my life that I was probably ashamed of. And I never shared with anyone. I was just like, Oh no, we were just a really close family. You know, my mom's family's from the South and you know, we don't talk about bad things. (laughs) We just don't, you know, if it's not good, we don't talk about it. So it was, that really is what kickstarted healing for me of trauma in my life. And, and still to this day, you know, and then we were foster parents for seven years and, you know, walking with children through that and going, okay, you know how, and you mentioned you know, that, that God had given you a gift. He had given you this gift of resilience and that you were like, oh no, I'm not doing this. I am going to make it better. And I think about that when we were walking through our journey and I kept going, gosh, God, why do you keep putting children in my life that mirror my life? (laughs) Not knowing that it was because I was also healing through that. I was never intended to heal them. Well, I think part of that is is you have to consider whether that was a gift to you or yeah. that was a gift right. to the kids. It was definitely both of us. <laughs> the kids really needed an example yeah. of how to survive yeah. that particular trauma. The thing that I appreciate the most about the Step to the Line game and that I emphasize to the kids is that everyone has some form of childhood trauma. Right. So, and it doesn't, just because you didn't live in foster care and just because, mm-hmm. you know, your parents weren't alcoholics mm-hmm. and just because your father didn't abandon you right. when you were an infant and you, just because you were on welfare or whatever right. your situation was, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that the girl standing next to you didn't have some form of trauma. You know, uh, maybe she had a learning disability mm-hmm. or maybe she was bullied yeah. or maybe she... Um, Grief, death. She had sibling. Yeah, that's right. She mm-hmm. had somebody mm-hmm. die in her family yeah. or um, her parents were abusive with each other yeah. or um, her mother suffered from depression. Mm-hmm. There's the beauty of that game is that it allows the students to recognize that they're not alone. Yeah. That everybody has something that they're dealing with and that's something right. that they're trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Um and they have the ability to use the same methodology and the same tactics to mm-hmm. be able to, That's right. to survive that. But it's a, it, it's completely a, a mental game. Yeah. You, you have to believe that you can do it yeah. and you have to have strength in yourself and, um, 
And so that that's probably the most important message that yeah. I would give them is just to believe in themselves. And you mentioned that you're, um, you had a, a, a quote by C.S. Lewis that was, hardships prepare ordinary people for extraordinary destiny. And I love that. I know, I, and I love C.S. Lewis. And I have my own C.S. Lewis quote that I love. It's, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And when we think, you know, and, and that just dovetails on the idea that we've all, we've all lived through some sort of childhood trauma. And a lot, and, and the problem I think with, with us as adults is when we look back at that childhood trauma, we're not the same person. You know, we are, our, our frontal lobes are not even, we can't process, we couldn't process those, those traumas when we were children. So as adults, hopefully that those are things that we are seeking you know, help with therapists or in relationships to be able to come through that on the other side, as opposed to, you know, uh, being a victim because that, that, that term, I hate it. I really hate that term victim because we're really victimizing ourselves. Absolutely. It, we're, and we're just taking on what's happened to us and applying it as like, my name is, this is my badge. And you talk about three, um, uh, ways that we can manifest change in our lives. And your first one was never live your life as a victim. And I think we pretty much covered that in, in what we were just talking about. But number two was believe that you can and you will. I How little when we put that name tag, I am a victim on, we don't believe in ourselves. We, we excuse ourselves from greatness. That's right. Because the whole mentality of victimization is that whatever it is that I experienced in my life, holds me down to the point that I, you know, I, I can't get a job, I can't go to college, I can't, uh, you know, do the things that I want to do, because my, my inability to survive mm -hmm. my own childhood prevents me from doing that. Right, right. So we've already, we're already sunk in the water before we even set the sail, basically. You know, people always ask me, how is it that you managed to survive that? And how is it that you managed to get where you are in terms of owning your own law practice and being a lawyer and doing all these things that you do. And, and I always say that, um, you know, that God gives you messages. Right. And I remember very distinctly um, when I was a, a baby lawyer, I was probably within my first seven years of practice. Um, I had a gentleman come into my office and he was working on our computers in the office. And he, um, he came into the office and he said, he said, I know this is going to sound really, really strange. Um, but he said, I had a dream about you last night. Mm -hmm. And in the dream, God was talking to me. And he said, um, tell her that she's that she doesn't have to be a victim anymore. Mm. And it, it was while I always knew that while I was always had mm -hmm. that sentiment, mm -hmm. it was just really hearing it out loud. Yeah, because nobody had said it out loud. Wow. So after that, I mean, I was, I, I took it for what it was worth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I can't tell you whether, you know, that was a real experience for him or not. But it, however the message came to me. Right. That's how the that message encouragement, came to That encouragement, that, and that, and, and I believe, I do believe that that was something that God was trying to tell you. I do. I believe that we, we, we want to do things to prove who we are, when in reality, God knows who we are all along. 
And I believe that that was a message that you needed to hear at that time. And, and when you think to being a baby lawyer, you know, you're probably going, okay, what am I doing? Every day of the week. Yes. Not that, you know, not that you don't do that now. (laughs) You're like, I'm so over that. Well, it was, and, and I think that when you're in a situation like that, you receive messages yeah. all over. In fact, I was having dinner with my girls last night, um, and I was um, talking to my youngest daughter, and I was saying that I believe inherently in two concepts. Mm-hmm. One, that God has perfect timing, mm-hmm. and two, things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. So, and I was talking to her about, you know, her situation in life and Mm -hmm. a little bit of the timing issue. And, um, she says, you know, mom, I believe that. And I said, as long as you trust in that, that's right. That, you know, he's never going to lead you where he doesn't Mm -hmm. want you to be. That's right. Then, um, then exactly where you are, Mm -hmm. take it from there. That's right. So I think believing in those two concepts my whole life, and I tell how that all the mm-hmm. time, God has perfect timing, Right. Um, that I was one of those principles, the fourth principle that I mm-hmm. added after years of giving those, that speech was um, to just trust yeah. in, in where you are yeah. in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, God's never going to lead you down the wrong path. That's right. That's right. And when you think about, you know, having that trust, I mean, when you think of trauma, when you think of the, the, you know, the folks that you were speaking to in this, trust is probably like the last thing that they have. The absolute last thing that they have. Yes. So it's faith in themselves. Yes. And, and, and trust. And I think that comes from also trusting yourself, you know, because when you grow up in an environment or something that has happened, there's such a loss of control that you just are like, well, how do I trust anything? Thing if I have no control over anything, whereas trust is, is really not having control. So you're, you're in the right place. <laughs> right. And that's really a fallacy when yeah. people think that they don't have control. Mm-hmm. They have so much more control yeah. than they, than they give themselves credit mm-hmm. for. It's, it's the confidence to exercise that control. Yeah. It's the faith Mm-hmm. Um, that you have the ability to exercise that mm-hmm. control. If you imagine that imaginary line mm-hmm. on the floor in front of you, mm-hmm. what does it take to step over that right. line and just keep going? Yeah. Just whatever direction you're headed. No looking back. Just keep going. Yeah. And then your other point was find your thing and do it well. Um, and that's your get real principle. Yes. <laughs> that was probably my favorite one. <laughs> yeah. Because as I was reading, you know, you mentioned about being in choir and, you know, you were like, I'm doing this. And I, and I thought she just miraculously was going to have a great voice. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I always say, you know, God only gives us so many gifts. <laughs> and I had it exceeded my quota. <laughs> And I'll, and I'll, and I'll leave that for, um, for folks to read. Cause I'm, I am going to ask you if you wouldn't mind us sharing that on our website so folks can, can read it because it is so well done, but, but I'm like, wow, how many times have I had to get real with myself? Because I am a dreamer. Mm-hmm. I want to do everything. And my husband is so precious because he's like, do it, babe. And I'm like, why can't you just say no? <laughs> Don't do it. But it it really gives you such freedom to go, 
okay, I don't have to do it all. <laughs> Especially if you're not good at it. Yeah. Do what you're good at. Do what you're good at. And and it's not something that, you know, you were willing to go get voice lessons or to, you know, oh, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to invest in this. You were like, no, I'm just going to get real with myself here. And this is not my thing. And so often I think our youth, um, I have a few still at home that they really want to do something and they're just not good at it. And I tell my, this is something we're, we're dealing with right now with one of our kiddos. And, and I said, well, you know, I believe the reason why you're not very good at this particular thing is because number one, you're not willing to invest what needs to be invested to do well in it, but you can still learn. You can still learn from not being the best at, you know, whether it be a sport or an instrument or singing, you can still learn from it. You can still learn. Okay. Wow. My, I have teammates. I'm gleaning from them. You know, I can I can leave difficult times on the field. I don't have to um, bring it home and you know beat myself up because I missed a shot or because I you know missed a note or whatever it may be. And growing kids need to know this. Kid, children need to know. Teenagers especially need to get to know this. That I don't have to be the best at every single thing that I do. I just why not try it try it. And if it doesn't work out, learn from it. That's not my thing. I'll move on. <laughs> and I also really believe in the concept of natural talent. Yes, I do too. So, um, you know, I, I talk to my children about just exploring whatever their That's natural right. talent is. Mm-hmm. And as parents, you know, we let our kids do everything. We let them do every sport. Mm-hmm. We let them do piano yes. we let them do and what dance. I've heard that is the best way to go about it it's not to you know have them in every club you know soccer team that you can put them in it's it's really letting them try different things so and and I think when we do that with our kids they can go ah, okay I'm, I'm okay their, their life isn't crushed if they don't make the team you know that they've been practicing to you know I want to be a professional baseball player it's like oh <laughs> Well, and I wouldn't say that being a lawyer is my natural talent, mm-hmm. but I think what my natural talent is, is reading and writing. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the other gifts that God gave me mm-hmm. is that I have an eidetic memory. Oh, really? So um, it, it really contributes to the practice of law mm-hmm. in, in a way that seems a little like cheating, but it's yeah. not, I, you know, I, I can read a statute. Says you. And it's not a, right. um, w- if I read a statute, I'll remember it for the rest of my life. Wow. And so all I have to do is read something. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have a That's photographic amazing. memory, but if I read it, I will remember it. And, and it's interesting because, you know, growing up in foster care, you don't always get the best, um, educational background, mm-hmm. but I've, I've been a straight A student since, when I finally did make it to school and, um, it, it always came very easy mm-hmm. for me. And so I always thought that that was when I finally got to the point where I was recognizing that God only gives you so many gifts, mm-hmm. I had to sit back and think, okay, well, what am I good at? Right. And if this is, if this is the gift that I have, mm-hmm. then it is my duty, my obligation to manifest that. Right. And yes, yes, and yes. And so I also like to teach. I'm hoping that's what, um, when I finally stop being a baby lawyer, that's what <laughs> I want to do for a living, is I want to teach and write books. Yes, um, you should. You should. I would I would totally read your books. I, I am absolutely floored by not only just where you've come from, but where you are. 
and the inspiration that you give to others so freely. You just have this generous spirit. And I believe that's another gift that God has given you is a generous spirit because you want to share with others, not your trauma, but your the story of overcoming and letting others know that they don't have to stay where they're at, whether it's you know, you're, you're a stay at home mom for 25 years and you're kind of like, Oh, do I get a job or not? Or do it, you know? So when I think about the inspiration that you give, you're, you're saying, find out what you're good at and do that. Right. Do that. How, how simple of encouragement is that or instruction is that? Because we all have something. We all have something we're good at. For me, I always say it's, um, kids. I love kids. I've always loved kids since I was little. And, and I keep going, well, how can I make a difference in a life? Because I don't know if you've ever heard this quote that, you know, maybe it's not what I'm going to do, but who I'm going to raise. And I'm in that stage of my life where I feel like I've been parenting for so long. <laughs> you know, we had five kids. The youngest of those five are have flown the coop, but we adopted five younger kiddos and they're still at home. And I'm like, okay, this is my life. It's not when the kids are gone, I can have my life. It's this is my life. That's recognizing your gift. That's right. And, uh and I look at my kids and I just go, wow, I hope they don't feel pressured by it. (laughs) (laughs) To have that many kids. Yes. Well, to have so many kids in the house, but also, you know, to see, you know, my devotion and commitment to them and that they don't feel like they're, um, disappointing me or, and I tell them all the time, I'm like, Hey, you're not to live your life for me. Your life is to be lived for you. It's, you know, what, where God has placed you and where you thrive, that, that makes me happy. That's great for me, but it's not about me. And, and I know there's a a confusion in them and they're like, okay, but if parenting is your thing, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Well, I don't know that having a lot of kids is really your gift. Right. Because, you know, I've represented children for years Mm -hmm. and I've seen lots of foster parents and I've seen um, lots of parents who have lots of kids. Mm -hmm. And it's not the multiplicity of kids. Right. It's your ability to develop a family, Mm -hmm. to develop a loving family unit Mm -hmm. where kids feel Mm -hmm. safe and they feel cared for mm-hmm. that's your gift yeah it and it, I, I think that you would create that whether you had two kids or whether yeah. you had 20 yeah yeah and I and it's funny because you know you were saying you know how God speaks to you and when I was a little kid I knew I, I knew that I would adopt children I knew it like, and I didn't even know what adoption was mm-hmm. I was just like oh I'm gonna have a bunch of kids I'm gonna have 14 kids I came from a family of two my husband came from a family of two. <laughs> so we, when we came together, we knew that there was a purpose in us coming together. H- how many people do you know that like actually get married and they say, yeah, I want a lot of kids, <laughs> 14 to be exact. And we stopped at 10. We said 10 is good. Um, but I can see that there is, um, we have fun and I can see that the kids that we do have, they love each other and they love others. Yes. And that for me is like, that's it. That's all I want. That's it. Do, do whatever, but love people, help folks. Because the, the way that, that we're living right now, it just doesn't seem that it's there. We're just dog eat dog. And I want it, I do, I want to raise world changers and I want them to change this world with 
not just their gifts and talents, but with the love that they have for others. And uh, we're seeing it. And sometimes I wonder if they love each other in the house at, um, you know, when we're getting ready for school. I'm like, oh my gosh, do you, you even like each other? But they do. Just don't let anyone else mistreat them, you know? They'll yeah. go beat them up. And they're like, they were talking me to my brother. I'm like, okay. Well, you and Clay really demonstrate how you can give of yourself personally mm -hmm. and and create a family for for adoptive kids and you know how that's what Hal does primarily yes yes is, is adoption and we're we're dealing with with families that have kids that don't want them mm -hmm. families that have kids that abuse them yeah. families that have kids that fight for them yeah um, and I, I think that you and Clay you are guys see the gamut. Example. We do. We absolutely <laughs> do see the gamut. You see the, especially with divorce also being included in that. Cause I know before that wasn't part of the repertoire. And then when you guys, when you guys partner together, I can't even imagine what you guys see on the daily, how exhausting it must be. <laughs> it, it is pretty exhausting, but yeah. you know, I've been doing it for 26 years. Wow. And so after a while, you you come to a place mm -hmm. where you just become a problem solver. Yeah. You know, a family comes to you in an incredible amount of distress. And the favorite part of my practice is representing children yes. in custody cases or guardian ad litem cases because I, I, I really feel like I connect to kids more than mm -hmm. I do to some adults. Um, but so you just become a problem solver yeah. and you you learn not to absorb their trauma. That's right. Because it, if they, if they can, they want to share their trauma because pe right. people who have been, it goes back to that victimization yes. thing. People who have been uh, victimized mm -hmm. or experienced trauma, they want to share that trauma. They want people to understand that trauma. Yes. They want to speak their trauma. Mm -hmm. They want to live their trauma. Yeah. And if you, if as a divorce lawyer and a custody lawyer, all you're doing all day is dealing with somebody else's trauma yeah. and you don't have the ability to separate yourself mm -hmm. from that, then you become as much of a victim as they are. Yeah, that's true. And so it's, it's definitely a skill mm -hmm. to be a, a divorce lawyer yes. and a custody lawyer. And after 26 years, I think I, you know, I think I have it down. Yes, I think you do for but, sure. I mean, there were, there was lots of cases early on in my career where that just devastated me that yeah. just, I cried and, and I felt so personal for, yeah. um, their losses and not to say that I don't feel that compassion yeah. for my clients now, because you have to feel compassion yeah. in order to do what we do. Um, but I don't internalize it. Mm -hmm. I don't make it part of my own life. That's right. It's funny because um, in when when you do work with <clears throat> folks that are going through difficult times, you uh, you you want to kind of relieve them of some of their burden, but you don't want to carry it forever. You know, you're, it's kind of like I'll take that from you, and then I'm going to put it over here, <laughs> and we're going to leave it over there. And and I tell folks because when you look at um, youth because they don't know what to do with it. You're, you're kind of like, oh my goodness. And when we were doing the boutique, we would have girls come in and go, oh no, I don't need clothes. I don't need clothes. And then you, you know, you pull out a few things and then they try them on. Okay. Maybe I do need clothes. And then they put the clothes on. And next thing you know, they're, you know, wanting to call you mom and you're going, wait a minute. No, I'm, I, I can't, no, no, we're friends. We're, you know, we're good. We can talk. And, but, before you know it, they literally are going, 
I don't know what to do with this hurt or this pain or this happened to me. And this is an hour into the conversation. And you're right. You have to, you can't internalize it. It has to be something that you go, okay, I would love to help, but you know, what are you, what are you doing? Are you able to talk to someone? Are you able to um, get out of that situation? Are you able to, and then you have to leave it there. You can't, you can't bring it. I used to tell folks, I just, I bring it to the feet of God. I just say, God, you know, this person, you know, what's really going on in their life. And I'm going to trust you with that because I can, I'll mull over it for, you know, three nights and have no sleep and be useless. Well, you know, I think it's it's the compassionate heart that always wants to save everybody. Yes. You cannot save everybody. Yeah. So the good thing about being a lawyer and in my position is I don't have the ability to save somebody, right. but I do have the ability to implement practical change that's right. for families. And so that's the that's the substitute yes. that I have found mm-hmm. for my need to want to help everybody. Mm-hmm. And you that's being so a good. foster parent yeah. is is yeah. the outlet that it's you a, have found. It's a pr- and it's a practical need that needs to be met, that Absolutely. was needed. Yeah. And when we started, we said, oh yeah, we'll foster. We had five kids at that time. We are like, oh, we'll foster. We'll help with reunification, all of that. We'll, you know, we'll be buddies with the parents. And we were. Mm-hmm. We literally, you know, we'd keep notebooks, we'd pass them back and forth. And it was so interesting because we're like, one day someone calls and says, okay, this kid's going home in six months, but the other foster family fell through, blah, 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 blah. Because I guess they wanted to adopt and then found out that the child was going to be reunified. So they said, we're done. And we said, great. And we're, we're getting along good with the bio parents. And the next thing I know, the little kid's not going home and we're going, uh-oh, what do we do? What... Uh, Oh my goodness. So for, for us, we kept going, okay, the need of caring for loving, keeping this child safe, making sure that they're learning and growing as they're in our home (laughs) or like, what do we do? Like, do we start adopting kids? (laughs) And then you go, is that a need in this situation? And every single, we had like over 40 kids. I'm like, there's no way we could have adopted 40 kids. A lot of them went home. A lot of them were adopted into other homes. And to think we walked out with only five. <laughs> Those are pretty good odds. Right? Yeah. Only five. I had a woman that I represented um, for years and years and years. She had lots of kids and mm-hmm. came from a very, very bad situation, uh, was in the abuse and neglect system. And I I gave entirely too much of my life to mm-hmm. her. Um, but when all was said and done, her very last child, and this was um, number 12, I think. Wow. She named that child after me. Oh, that's amazing. So there's a little Sherlyn r- running around. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But you, ha- and you do, you have to say, what can I do in this situation? And sometimes it blindsides you. It really does. You're like, wait a minute, what are we doing here? Wh- we, we don't have any more rooms in the house or, you know, can I take on another case like this? Cause I'm sure you have to be able to go, I'm doing so many of this type or, you know, emotionally, like you said, you have to have compassion. And then you're like, oh my goodness, I I have the same cases and I'm exhausted from all of them and being able to draw that line and go, okay, I can do this much or I can, I still need to go home and be a wife. (laughs) Well, I think at the end of the day, what we really want is, you know, for women like you and I, what, what we really want is to know that we did our part. That's right. Um, whatever, whatever gifts that Mm -hmm. God gave us or whatever inherent talents that Mm -hmm. we had, 
that you know we utilized our resources we utilized right. our gifts and we we did what we could to better the common good that's right that's right because there is a um there's this burning in me and which i'm sure is in you that i want to leave this world a better place absolutely than when i came into it so i want to leave it better for my family i want right. to leave it better for my children that's i want right. to leave it better for my neighbor yeah that's right i want to leave it better for the people who come after us yeah. um i'm i'm always that person that says you know what do, what are you doing yeah i mean i was really big in rotary for a really long time i mm -hmm. i call myself a regular rotarian now because <laughs> i don't i don't have a position um but i i feel it's so important for everybody to be doing something that's right i don't care what it is that you do that's if right. you're not doing something to make your community better to that's make right. your state better mm -hmm. to make your world better to make you know, your family better to make your family yeah. better then you're you're wasting yeah and professional complainer is not one of those titles that are needed Absolutely, <laughs> yes. and and spending all your day on social media that's right ranting and raving about yes whatnot. this person and yeah. that person mm -hmm. and this you know system or oh i tell you that's I, uh, this morning, actually, I, I had a little moment of, you know, I feel like I haven't had enough time in my day the last couple of days. And I, you know, looking through what I had been doing, and I went, oh, I've been spending too much time on social media. That's where a lot of my time was going the last couple of days. You know, everything going on in Afghanistan, everything going on in Haiti. And I'm, I am, I'm drawn to those things. Like, what can I do? That's right. You and inherently want to help. I do. I inherently want to help. And, and I keep hitting this wall the last three days. I'm like, okay, what can I do? Can, I, I can't go to Afghanistan. They're not letting anybody in because I totally would. <laughs> um, but then I got an email that um, we had signed up to do a trip to Thailand to work with um, women that wanted to come out of the sex industry because a lot of the girls are sold into the sex industry by family because they can't support them. Absolutely. So they've started a school for the children of the, the women and men that are in the sex industry. So we are like, oh, we can go to the school and we can you know help with the kids. And they opened up a home for women that are in hiding. They are, they've left that industry and they're being educated and getting college degrees and moving into fields so that they can support their kids. So I got the call that, hey, you guys were chosen to go. And I'm like, thank you. I need, there was something in me that was like, okay, you got to do something. You know, you forgot that. And it was a trip that had been canceled previously because of COVID. And I'm praying that it stays, you know, intact. But I do, I just have this you know, I, I can't just sit by and watch, especially children that have no say that are just being pulled and tossed and, and, um, forgotten. See, God has perfect. Yeah. Timing. And, right. <laughs> <laughs> the timing is so, so good. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and I think just running through, um, running through life just creates this space of, Hey, we can lock arms. <laughs> So me and you, Cheryl, we're going to get together and we're going to lock arms for the girls in our community. I just you know, know it. I would, I would love to, to be able to do that humanitarian work and mm -hmm. uh, go overseas and, mm -hmm. and go on those trips. But I feel so compelled to do what it is that I do mm -hmm. um, that it's really a balancing act for it me. Is. I mean, I try, I, I'm very involved in the law school mm -hmm. and I 
volunteer for organizations like the New Mexico Immigrant Law Center and do things like that. But if if I had all the money and all the time in the world, I would love to go teach English Mm -hmm. um, in a third world country um, and who knows create an orphanage timing yeah that's true oh we already have blueprints for an orphanage (laughs) this is what clay and i do in our spare time we don't just have normal retirement conversations we talk about hey so i was thinking if we started an orphanage like this is what i don't want to call it an orphanage i want to call it this and and it's going to have this and that and And before you know we have a business plan (laughs) it's crazy it really is crazy, and it's like fuel. It's it, it keeps us going. Like, what's next? What's next? Let's do it. Let's let's get on this. And I, I can see how it bleeds into our kids because my kids are like that too. I, one of my daughters, when she was little, she said um, her her gift was um, art. She mm-hmm. wanted to be a fashion designer when she was eight years old, and she came to me with these beautiful renderings of um, clothing and said. I'm going to make these and sell them and feed kids in Africa. <laughs> oh, bless her heart. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, that's amazing. I'm, you know, practical? Not so much, but amazing to be able to to come to that conclusion and and I hope that um, not just my kids, but children in general would be able to see, wow, let's help each other out. Let's, you know, the new kid that's coming in from that, you know, whose parents may have had to you know, that were deported or that were, are not here, not able to care for them, that they're able to wrap their arms around them and say, what can I do to help you? You know, I grew up in um, Los Angeles and I grew up in a predominantly, you know, Hispanic community. It was actually uh, Mexican because the we lived across the street from the project. So I don't know, we were the step up. I don't know from the projects. And a lot of the, the families there were, were undocumented. Yes. So we, I would go over and we'd play and then I'd turn around and everyone's gone. You know, and, and I'm going, what's going on? I did not understand what was happening, but you know, it was fear that they were going to be deported. And a lot of these kids, great kids, They've gone on to do great things looking, you know, I'm going to be 50 years old. These are little kids that, you know, were, were terrified. We're living in this world of, I'm going to have to go back or my parents are going to be taken or we're going to be separated. And this was, you know, 40, 45 years ago. We see that all the time in our practice, particularly how with um, the adoptions and, you know, we're trying to get kinship guardianship of kids so that they won't get deported. We're trying to get kids adopted. Um, But I, I think that women like you and I sort of struggle between where we can be the absolute most effective. That's right. Um, I And I struggle personally between mm-hmm. the intellectual side of it yes. and the get down and dirty. That's right. Side hands and feet side of it. Yeah. Right. Because Moving, I, yeah. you know, I want to, I want to function in the intellectual wor- mm-hmm. world. I, I want to get a master's degree because, mm-hmm. you know, um, with a law degree, you have a Juris Doctorate, so you go straight from the bachelor's degree to the doctorate degree. And right. in my mind, you I, skipped. F- I feel like I missed something. <laughs> oh. Like I'm, I'm undereducated <laughs> from the majority of the uh, intellectual population because I don't yeah. have a master's degree. Yeah. So I have this burning desire right. to get this master's <laughs> degree. And I, I want to teach courses, and mm-hmm. I want to work at the university, and I want to work at the law school, and I want to write books, and I want to do all all of those things, because I think an element of that is part of the gift that yes. 
that I have. That you've been given, yes. But the other part of it is, you know, I want to love children and I want to help children and I want to help kids to be adopted Mm -hmm. and I want to do that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. So right now, my husband and I work very, very hard at our practice and I probably work way too much. I work 10, 12 hours a day. Mm -hmm. Um, And when when it's time for for me to make that transition Mm -hmm. from, you know, using my mind to using my hands Mm -hmm. and my feet, Mm -hmm. then, then I'll know. That's right. So I, so, but right now this is, that's right. This is my world. And And it's so needed. It really is. It's so needed. I know, I know for us, it was a a godsend for us to meet Hal and to um, be able to cross paths with him and, and even to have that friendship still. And I tell Clay, what a gift that was because I look at um, what he does for a living mm-hmm. and I'm blown away. I really Absolutely. am. And I'm, he's really so, he's so good at it. Qualified. He yes. is, yes. he is. And, and the way that he fights, he does, he fights for these kids. Whenever someone comes to me and, and they need a, you know, a referral, we always refer Hal and, and I tell him he's a bulldog. He is a bulldog. He will do what it takes he, and he doesn't stop. And it's probably more pit bull, <laughs> well, but it, I don't, you know, I don't know stigmas here. <laughs> well, you know, being married to a lawyer is, it can be a cursing and a, yes. and a blessing, uh, a curse or a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, the, he is very passionate and very he emotional is. about what he does. I'm more practical. Mm-hmm. And so I will, will debate legal issues mm-hmm. back and forth and I'll say, well, you know, the rules don't provide that you can do this or the rules provide this and mm-hmm. this is the procedure for doing that. And he will just wiggle his way he out does. of yeah. whatever limitation the law puts mm-hmm. in front of him when he is working for the benefit of a child. He does. Yeah, he does. And, and, and passionate, I would say is the, you know, you look at passionate in the dictionary and there's how mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, And it's great. I, I love that you guys have this partnership. It's, it's beautiful and so necessary. And does he do that at home about the dishes? <laughs> does he wiggle his way through? Are you like, hey. <laughs> you know, the, the best part about Hal is that I'm, I'm really the workaholic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I want to do the intellectual thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he respects that in me and he appreciates that in me and he admires it and he he you know we each bring our own gifts to yes to the marriage and so I'll be at the office at night at eight or nine Mm -hmm. ten o'clock and he'll say well I know you haven't eaten let me bring you something to eat at least that's so precious um so he doesn't he shines within his own light mm-hmm. and he allows me to shine within That's so good. my own light and, and I help him mm-hmm. and he helps me. And we really have similar practices, mm-hmm. but almost, um, competing practices and, mm-hmm. you know, that I'm, I'm helping people to get divorced and reformulate their families, mm-hmm. you know, find a new way to survive, yeah. not being married to that spouse, right. um, or fighting for custody of their kids mm-hmm. and, his job is really just to bring outside sources in and make them a a, a unit, a right. family unit. Mm-hmm. So he's building families. Yes. And I say, um, I'm not breaking up families. That's what he likes to tease me about. I'm <laughs> reformulating yeah. families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, and which is so important, so important because there is, um, there is no one way to do that. There isn't. And to be able to, I, I was very blessed to have a mother that did not hate my father after the divorce. She was, she always spoke my dad up. She always encouraged that relationship. And, and I just from living that and then watching others and walking with others through it, how difficult it is to have a respectful relationship with the spouse that you are divorced from when you have children. Absolutely. Yes. And you know, those kids being, you know, feeling like I've got two different places where I have to be two different people. And it's so much easier when those parents can, you know, be on the same page when it comes to raising those kids. Well, remember I told you that um, I was a one of the hosts on a Law Mom mm-hmm. podcast. Yes. Mm-hmm. So part of that Law Mom podcast was there was four women, four uh, women attorneys, and some of them were working from home moms, and mm-hmm. some of them were traveling moms, and some of them were administrative moms and practicing law. And my two girls are grown, but Hal and I have eight kids between the two of us. Wow. So one of the... One of the aspects that I contributed to the podcast was, you know, what is it like to have practiced law Mm -hmm. and raised your kids while, you know, raising yourself as an attorney, really? Mm -hmm. And and now in the second stage of my life, being a Mm stepmom to six other kids. And how do you how do you manage that step parent Mm -hmm. relationship? Um, And I work very, very hard to have Mm -hmm. a very good relationship with yes um, you you guys are definitely goals in that arena and I think you need to write a book on that and I had another guest um Becca Toops on and she also uh talks about how important that that relationship with you know the stepkid family all of that and I'm like you need to write a book you have no idea the need for folks to be able to, you know, glean from the relation and living it. You guys are, are living it. And eight kids, come on. I mean, it's hard enough, you know, if you got three that you're trying to share and yeah, Christmas it's is a little chaotic. It, right. <laughs> Holidays, I'm sure are crazy. Yeah. But the idea that, you know, you want to do everything well, you're, you're like, no, these are, these are kids also. The, you know, you're not just looking at going to a job and, and defending children and caring for kids. You that, that has to translate home, too. Well, you know, I think that we're really lucky. The boys have a great mom. Mm-hmm. I, I she, she really is an yeah. awesome mom. And so my job there isn't difficult. All I have yeah. to do is respect her. I love it. Um, but there's lots of times when, you know, the biological mom is not doing what she needs to right. do. And the step parent is put into a situation mm-hmm. where do I just mind my own business yeah. or respect her or what obligation do I have to come in right. and intervene? And that's really one of the reasons, another one of the reasons why I like representing children in custody cases is because I can see both sides of that's that right. coin. And you don't have to necess- you don't have to pick a side. Right. I, that's right. I never have to pick a side. I always pick the side of a child. That's right. Yes. And that's how I feel when we foster. Same thing. Mm -hmm. I always pick the side of the child. I'm rooting. I'm rooting for the parents. Of course. I, I really want the parents to succeed and do well, but reality is the child is the one that I'm really going, okay, this is the one I'm going to protect. And because they can't, they can't. So when you even being a step parent guardian of litem, I, that's and actually that was one of my dreams when I was a kid was to go to law school, 
And and it's you so still funny. Can. I know. <laughs> but I looked it up. And just for funsies. I Googled. Um, how old is too old to go to law school? You don't want to know. It was 28. <laughs> oh my goodness. That, that... I say, who said that? <laughs> I actually graduated law school. We had an older gentleman, um, and I want to say that he was in his 70s. Oh, you're, you're giving me hope, sis. Absolutely. Because I'm going to be 50 this year, and I my goal was when I'm 50. And now I'm going, okay, maybe 51. <laughs> there was a whole section of women that graduated in my law school class, and we called them, we called them the... Uh, um, the second mom club. Uh So they were women that had raised their children and had had a career and then decided in the second element of their life that they wanted to be a lawyer. Uh And so they just made that, you know, 180 degree turn. I love it. There was probably, I don't know, 10 women um, over 50 that were starting new careers. I love it. Uh See, I knew I had you on for a reason. <laughs> Multiple reasons, obviously. Yes. And uh, I, I have a good relationship with the law school. I'll, let's I'll go. do what I can to help let's you Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Well, I, I chose an English degree because I wanted to go to law school because I, I did feel pulled to political science, but my advisor said, you have no idea how many people have political science degrees and choose law. It, you will you will have a better chance with an English degree. So that's what I did. And now I'm going, okay, I may want to go back for my political science degree. <laughs> well, actually, you, the advice that I always give people that want to go to law school is you can go to law school with any degree. Right. You can go it's to true. law school with, with a, a medical degree, with a nursing, yes. Underwater basket weaving right? degree. That's, uh, where can I sign up right. for that one? <laughs> I ended up getting a degree in journalism for the same reason that you got a degree in English Mm -hmm. when I was in high school. And it talks about a little bit about this in my story. Mm -hmm. Um, In my junior year of high school, um, the state tried to pick me up and put me in a group home. Mm -hmm. And luckily, I had a a very, um, a very caring counselor yes. at the school mm-hmm. and his sister guidance counselor worked mm-hmm. for the the u.s attorney general's office and so they the school and my guidance counselor were able to manipulate a situation mm-hmm. where um they were i had to be assigned a guardian uh-huh. and um, that was how i ended up in upward bound so they made this deal with the state at the time that i would join upward bound mm-hmm that somebody else would manage my finances. And I was working like three jobs and living on my own in an apartment at the time. And that's how, actually how they caught me. Mm-hmm. Um, so they made me quit all my jobs. Mm-hmm. And my high school guidance counselor got me a job with his sister mm-hmm. at the U.S. Attorney General's office it. in Denver. And you said, this is it. <laughs> well, actually, no, not really. Um, so I clerked there during my junior and senior year, and the U.S. Attorney General at, at the time said, well, what are you planning on doing? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, at this point in my life, I'm just planning on earning enough money this month to pay my rent. Right. And so he said, well, he said, I think you should consider going to law school. Um And he said, but let me give you some advice. He said, get a degree in something that will that will increase your skills in Mm -hmm. law school because you can go to law school on any degree. Right. And so if you're good at reading and you're good at writing, then get something that will allow you to get a job. Mm -hmm. So if I never made it to law school, I could always be a journalist. That's true. Um, And so that's why I got an undergraduate degree in journalism. 
so good. <laughs> journalism of, folks out there. <laughs> a lot of people end up getting a degree in political science. Mm-hmm. And you, they do. You can't do anything with a political no. science degree. No. You can be a probation officer. Right. Isn't that lovely? That yeah. sounds like so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're obviously doing it for the passion and not for... Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I, for me, I think it would be more for teaching to be able to go into teaching government or because I do enjoy, I I enjoy that field. Uh But then I'm like, do I want to (laughs) teach? Probably not. It's, it kind of goes back to like Mm -hmm. you wanting to get your master's. It's like, why you, 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 you frog jumped it, you know, but it's something that's in you and you're going, I don't know why, but I feel like I got to do it. I love education. I I do too. Permanent student. If I could. Me too. I am the same. I love it. I'll take a class here, a class there. And my kids are like, oh, I'm going to leave you so you can do homework. Oh, no, no, I took the semester off. They're like, what? (laughs) You what? Why did you take the semester off? Well, I don't know. I just felt like, you know, kids are, this semester I'm not going to school. I have one that's in high school this year and then two middle and one or two um, grammar school. And I'm like, yeah, the the new one going to high school, I want to make sure I'm available that, you know, he gets it right his freshman year. Because you, if you don't get it right your freshman year, you're going to struggle the rest. Absolutely. So that's my, my story, and I'm sticking to it. The best time of my life was when I was in undergrad and when I was in law school. Hal and I joke about after we retire, we're mm-hmm. just going to go and get bachelor's degrees. Yeah, and why just not? Whatever. I was going to get a bachelor's degree in welding or, yeah. you know, just photography or yeah. just whatever. that sounds like fun. Mm-hmm. And then you can just say, I have a bachelor's in... I have 16 doctor's degrees. It was just for fun. Three in the arts, <laughs> three, four in the science. Four in the science. Yes. <laughs> oh, I could talk all day with you. We have so much in common. Um, thanks for being on. Absolutely. I will have you back with your husband because uh, I think you guys um, would be a riot to interview together. <laughs> well, we, we do debate quite a bit. I so. love it. We're we're down for a good debate. Okay. Let's go. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh Uh-huh. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Run Mama Run podcast. Check us out on social media at runmama.run. And mamas, keep running.